morning. Welcome home. So glad you're here. It's time for Children's Church. So if you're a children, get going. There's fun upstairs and the gospel. We're going to be doing that down here. Um, before we get started, um, there I, I, I learned that yesterday on the way to the football game, um, five redshirt freshman football players were involved in a, in a car accident. They're all going to be okay. Um, and I just want to, it's Elijah Hall, um, Dylan Nicholson, Jared Mendocino, Ty Henry, and Tyler Stevens, and uh, different uh, variations of, of injury, but they're, they're all going to be okay. And I just wanted to um, lift them up and, and have a word of prayer for them. So, um, Lord, uh, we want to thank you for your protection of, of these young men. Lord, everybody uh, at the college, everybody in the community is on your heart, and so they're on ours. And we just, uh, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that um, we've got another, another day um, with these young men. And, and Lord, that your protection of them physically might point them wherever they are to your protection of them and your provision for them spiritually. And, and Lord, that they might know how much you love them um, and use us to do it. Um, I'm just so grateful. And I ask your blessing on, on them and their families uh, at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, good. If you know them, love on them well and um, just share that with you. Um, I am particularly glad you're here because the Broncos are playing at 11 o'clock. And, and, and no, you know, some churches would re- really, we're thinned out, but we, we might be a ghost town. So I happen to know that that is why God invented the DVR, right? Right? Um, and that Tebow is not going to play well until the second half. So you're golden. And, and so here you are. Uh, Revelation 3, Revelation 3, please. Please turn there. Um, we're in the study of our book of Revelation, if you're, if you're new, um, if you're visiting, if you're not you know, following along. It's called Live Ready, and this is week 12. And here's, here's the plan. We're going to finish up November with the letters to the churches, which is the section that we're in in chapter 3. And then in December, uh, the four Sundays in December, we're going to take a, a break from the book of Revelation. Um, hold your applause, please. Um, and... What we're going to do is, is a series I am so looking forward to. It's called We Need Christmas. We need Christmas. And what we're going to do is each week, we're going to look at another element of Christmas. We're going to look in the Old Testament, and we're going to see from the creation of the universe how Christmas, how Christ coming um, meets perfectly our deepest and, and most heartfelt needs and desires. And, and we're going to need Christmas and enjoy Christmas as we never have before in light of all of that. So if you know friends or family who need Christmas, who love Christmas, invite them, bring them with you. It's going to be a great blessing. I hope today is a great blessing too. Um, you'll see I am drinking uh, Diet Coke with lime. You know, a little bit of a twist. I believe in mixing things up. Apparently God does too. Because as I was preparing, here's a little like window into my twisted little world. Um, like when I prepare, like always pray, Lord, Lord, I, I not only want the truth of your word, but there's so much in every, in every passage that we could focus on. I, I want what, what you want 
me and, and your people here at this point to really focus on. And so, you know, you get all of this and I, I have all these pages, but um, if, if you'll see, there's a, there's a lot of like big black X's. Yeah, this happened last night. Um, God said, well, thanks for all that work. Like he doesn't speak to me audibly. I don't want you to creep out like that, but just like, you know, his voice in your heart. Um, thanks for all that work, but you know, that's not what you're talking about, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's, and, and so he, he took some things in a different direction. Um, and, and so I, I, I pray his hand will be on it. Uh, we are looking at the letter to the church in Philadelphia, uh, distinct because it is the only church of the seven that Jesus wrote to that's named after a cream cheese. And um, what? <laughs> this is the church of the open door. This is the church of the open door. It's a door of hope, a door of possibility, a door of new life, a door of new perspective. And and what we're going to do, this is also a story, a, a message about the clash of kingdoms, the clash of kingdoms that are warring against your soul, that are warring for your attention, that are warring for your allegiance. And if we get this, If we get this from his word, from his spirit, it will give us a grid, a matrix, if you will, uh, to run life through that will make it make sense a whole lot more. It will give us a grid to run scripture through, Old Testament, New Testament, everything through. And we can see where God is calling us and what all the traps are from. This is, this is the grid, the, the, the clashing kingdoms. We'll see that. And uh, so what we're going to do uh, is do that because the church, and I'm not talking about just Bethany. I think, I think the church really misses this truth of, of, of the kingdom. And, and what it does is it keeps us from seeing Jesus fully, from seeing the battle fully, from seeing his blessings and provision fully, from focusing our lives, our attention, our devotion in the way that can bring us life and freedom and hope and all of the things that Jesus wants for you. And so even the normal Christian life is not what he's calling us to. It's something that transcends that, goes so far beyond it, and it is the open door. And before I give the message before the message, um, we'll move on. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to read the letter, as we often do, and and then we'll we'll focus on a few elements of it. We're in chapter 3 of Revelation. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. This is Jesus speaking, okay? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. The words of the Holy One the true one who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but a little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about, get this, patient 
endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I shall write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God out of heaven and my own new, oh, I skipped that. The city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Okay. Okay, thank you for forgiving my spiritual dyslexia. Um, If you were with us last week or you listened to the podcast, you know that Jesus was calling, crying out to the church in Sardis, some of whom were dead and needed to be revived, some of whom had dozed off and were sleeping in their faith and needed to be shaken and woken up. He was calling them to do that. We have no idea how many of them really took Jesus up on that offer. But the church in Philadelphia, these people, they did it. They did it. In fact, this is one of just two letters to the seven churches where Jesus doesn't have anything bad to say about them. It's just all hope. It's just all opportunity. It's just all I'm coming. It's just take heart. It's just, and, and that's what, if you will be revived by Jesus, if you will be wake, woken up by Jesus, you and I can be as the people in, in Philadelphia, the church, the people of the open door. We are going to look at that. And that is thrilling. That is thrilling. And it will change everything, everything. So, so hang with me. Now, before we get to that, before we get to the clash of kingdoms and why the open door is essential We're going to look in the text as we often do, we always should, to see what this tells us about the nature and character of God, the nature and character of Jesus Christ. So he helps us with that right off the bat. In verse seven, Jesus is going to say a few things about himself that this church needs to keep in mind, that this church needs to keep in mind. He says that he is first the, say it with me, holy one. He is the Holy One. Now, holy is one of those words like love and grace and things like that, that we churchify and we take to mean, we misunderstand it and we attach a definition that never belonged there. Holiness is one of those things. Those of you who are old enough to remember Dana Carvey on Saturday Night Live sometimes associate holiness with the church lady. Wearing itchy, ugly clothes, sitting in the dark with an expression on your face like you've been sucking on lemons, allergic to joy, and listening to organ music without a discernible beat. That is not holiness. That's just creepy. Holiness, what Jesus is saying about himself, holiness means of an entirely different kind absolutely distinct, different than anything you've seen, different than anything you've heard, different than anything you've ever imagined. One of a kind. Jesus says, I am the holy one, the holy one, not a 
Holy One, one of many manifestations of God in the world, together with Muhammad and Buddha and Allah and Oprah and Justin Bieber. I am not one of many. I am the Holy One, the Holy One. And we see this throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. Jesus, God, before he was incarnated, after, before Bethlehem, after... He is distinct. He is different. He is above all, different from all. Revelation 19, 16 says, Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of all lords. In Colossians 1, 15, speaking of Jesus, it says, he is the image, the very picture, the very image of the invisible God. In John 14, 9, Jesus says of himself, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And here's one we're going we're gonna to spend a little time in because it's so important to the image of holiness and who Jesus says that he is, the nature and character of who he is. It's John 14, verse 6. And in this, Jesus perhaps makes the most outrageous claim that he has ever made. Take a look. Jesus says, I am the way, meaning the only way. I am the truth, meaning I am the only truth. And I am the life, meaning the only life and the life giver, which we looked at last week. Now, here it is. This is the part that is so outrageous and offensive to so many. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is what Jesus said about himself. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is wildly, crazily unpopular in our culture. If you ever want to outrage somebody, if you ever want to see them lose their guacamole, mention this quote of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means no one, not me, not you, not anyone in the past, in the present, in the future, not here, not anywhere else on earth. No one can connect with, no one can commune with, no one can have a relationship with God apart from me. Pretty outrageous claim. Pretty outrageous claim. Now, um, let's back up a second and, and see why our culture is, is really outraged by this. Because despite of the resurgence of spirituality in America, in all age levels, the resurgence of spirituality, the overwhelming faith uh, system, the overwhelming belief system in our culture is this. All roads lead to God as long as you sincerely believe it. And click your heels together three times and say, there's no place like home. Okay, I made that last part up. But it really doesn't matter. It's just about as outrageous. Now, in believing that all roads lead to God as long as you, as long as you believe sincerely, the flip side of that is if you believe that Jesus is the only way to God. If you believe what Jesus said, you are narrow-minded, backwards, arrogant, bigoted. You probably hate gays, women, and beer, none of which is true. Now, so it puts us in a box. All roads lead to God. All roads lead to God. 
all religions are basically the same thing. That's what the culture believes. You boil all religions down, they're basically the same thing. Be a good person. Well, here's the problem. Christianity, following Jesus Christ, isn't a religion. It's a relationship with the creator, rescuer, savior, God. It's not just a a bunch of lists of rules that do and don't. Look, we didn't. We can't. It is the only faith where, where, where God says, not do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, I'll, and maybe you'll, you'll score good enough on the curve. He's saying, here's what I've done for you because you couldn't do it for yourself. Here's what I have done. If the other was true and we just needed to score high enough on the curve, maybe good strategy would go around and, and take good people and get them to do bad things to lower the curve. I'm not suggesting that, but it's a thought. Only Jesus says that. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with all roads lead to God as long as you're sincere enough. The people who are drinking culture's Kool-Aid and believing this because it's politically correct, because it's pixie dust, because it's fairy godmother and sounds good. Here's the problem. In order to really embrace that, you have to throw away the Bible and you have to throw away Jesus Christ. And they're not real comfortable with one of the two of those. Many people are pretty comfortable about throwing away the Bible because maybe, maybe they don't believe that the entire Bible is the inspired word of God. Okay, I understand. But they're a little antsy about throwing away Jesus Christ. Here's why. 80% of Americans polled in a, in a pretty respectable poll. This isn't like one of those sketchy Christian polls that try to get people to say what they don't say. About 80%, eight out of every 10 Americans say, yeah, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. And at the same time, overwhelmingly believe that all roads lead to God. Now, how do you say, I believe Jesus is who he said he is and believe that all roads lead to God when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me? How do you believe that all roads lead to God and keep Jesus in the mix without throwing him out. Because that makes us really uncomfortable. Because everything Jesus said and dud and dud. <laughs> you want a fallible preacher? You got it. Um, I need progressive sanctification. Everything that Jesus said and did and continues to do, the evidence is so overwhelming. Uncomfortable throwing out Jesus. The only way to be an all roads person and keep Jesus in the mix is to include a Jesus not of the scriptures, but of your own invention. And the scriptures say that's as bad as throwing him out. Well, I don't believe that Jesus because that Jesus doesn't fit with the way I've created my universe to work. Wouldn't it be better to see what he says about himself and, and, and reorient our lives? So that's really, really difficult. And then Um, we run into friends whom we love who say, you know, this lifestyle of this particular faith, that just fits me. I just want to live that. You know, it could be Hindu, it could be Buddhist, it could be whatever. That's, 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 that kind of resonates with me. Okay, I get that. But here's a problem. No one but Jesus Christ can take away sins. No one but Jesus, I don't care how, how you live. 
I don't care whether you eat this, don't do that, breathe this, chant that. No one but Jesus Christ through his work on the cross as our substitute in our place, his death, burial, and resurrection can bring new life to us. So we have to have Jesus. We have to have Jesus. Bottom line, the road to God is not a 26-lane highway, which the Bible calls the broad road. It is a one-lane, single-track path. That doesn't mean we all walk it the same, but the path is the same. And the path's name is Jesus. And that is what the church in Philadelphia got. He is, he is if we could go back to verse 7 in, in chapter 3 of Revelation, he is the Holy One. He also says that he is the true one. Now, quickly, because we don't have a lot of time, but I want to touch on this. Jesus answers the people then and now who answer the very real question, how can we possibly, is there really any absolute truth when there are so many different competing truth claims out there? How can we know what is true when there are so many options? He says, the true one. In this, Jesus is claiming something else that is very outrageous. I am the truth, not a truth. All truth is mine because I am the source of truth. Does this mean that everything anybody else who's not a Christian believes, everything in every other religion is false? No. It means that anything true in there belongs to Jesus. It means that anything true about them that matches up with scripture is true because it belongs to Jesus. He is the inventor of truth, the embodiment of truth, the essence of truth. He is the truth giver. I am the source of all truth, whether it's spiritual truth, relational truth, natural truth, sociological truth, medical truth, scientific truth, financial truth. It's all his. If it's true, it's his. So let's not have all this fear about people kicking the tires of our faith. I understand that some persecute you in class. Jesus can stand the scrutiny. If anyone is a truth seeker at heart, they will find him because he is truth. So let them press. Problem is some motivation is not truth seeking, but truth tearing apart. And so we need to encourage people to be truth seekers. And if you're a truth seeker and you're not buying into this whole Jesus, you are so welcome here. Where else are you going to go to be with fellow wrecked people who are looking for the answer? You're welcome here. Okay, good. He is the truth. And this throws out the syncretism that we studied two weeks ago. Syncretism, if you were here or listened to the podcast, you remember, is making for ourselves a spiritual truth salad from the salad bar of truth. And we take it from any source we want. And we take the things we like and we don't take any of the things we don't like, right? You want a salad that is just croutons and chow mein noodles and sunflower seeds and fake bacon bits with eight scoops of Thousand Island dressing? Have at it. You don't want the pickled beets? Who does? No problem. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to take this from here, take that from there. And this is my spirituality and this is my truth. Really? Well, Jesus says that's not going to work out really well. 
Jesus is the source of all truth. And in the midst of this, my truth, your truth, we live in a society of broken hearts, broken lives, shattered relationships, purposelessness, and it's inside and outside the church. He's saying, come to me. Let me forgive you. Let me wash you clean. Let me put my truth in you. Let me bring you home. I am the truth. I am the truth. So I'm not asking that you just blindly accept this. What I'm asking you to do is what he asks you to do. Taste and see. Check me out. Experience me. And then decide. You'll never go back. You'll never, ever go back. Okay. The uh, second thing, uh, the third thing rather, in verse seven that he says, not just I am the holy one, the true one. And you say, well, you know, I don't buy that. Well, that's the throwing Jesus out part. He said some outrageous things. So either he is who he said he is or, or just don't put him in the equation. Um, who has the key of David? And at first glance, that doesn't seem as cool as it really is. Um, I, I think it's really cool because as a child, I wanted to be a janitor because they had the retractable keychain that was as big as a hula hoop with about a gazillion keys on it. And they could get into anything, anywhere. There was nothing that was off limits to the janitor. And, and, and there is some spiritual truth in that. Because now, now that I'm older, though, I have my own keychain with a lot of keys. Uh, it looks like I have a tumor in my pocket. And, and I have a junk drawer at home that has a ton of these random keys. The problem is, I don't know what a lot of them are for. And I'm afraid that as soon as I throw them out, I'm going to need it. Um, so don't those little ones, like, confuse you? Do you own a file cabinet or Samsonite lug? I don't know. If you're missing a little key, come over to my house. I got tons of them. Jesus holds the key of David. Key of David. If you uh, want to, on your own time, check out Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. um, And that will uh, tell you a little bit more about it. The one who holds the key of David determined who had access to the kingdom. Who had access to the king. And what he's saying is, not only do I have the key of David, the access to the king. The access to the kingdom. But when I open that door for you, nobody anywhere ever can shut it. I don't care if they say you're disqualified. I don't care if they say you, you, you shouldn't be in there. You have it. Because I have it. And in me, you have access. You have access. So that's what he's opening. Jesus holds the key that allows us access to the Father. And that locks up and unlocks. It unlocks the locks on the chains of sin and guilt and shame and regret and hurt and everything that holds our hearts, that holds our lives hostage, prisoner. So not only can he open doors, he can open chains. He opens locks. He has the keys. He has the key to your life, your true life. Okay. He uses those keys to open the door of the kingdom for us. And if you're saying big whoop, I'll try to change your mind in a little bit. But before that, I want you to to think about this quote from uh, author Peter Larson who wrote, the life of Jesus is bracketed or bookended 
by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and he left it through a door marked no exit. Jesus is the God of the open door and this is great news if you live in the kingdom of darkness or you have spent any time there, which is just a world of locked Closed doors, slammed in your face, rejection, limitation, impossibility. He's setting before you an open door into the kingdom of God. And so let's look at that and we're going to see these kingdoms that are clashing and why it's important that we have this open door right in front of our faces that he promises. The door Jesus opens to the people in the church in Philadelphia, the door that he offers to open for you today and keep open that no one ever, not even you, can shut is access to the kingdom of God right now. Here is the irony. He's writing to the church in Philadelphia who are living in a kingdom, if you will, of persecution. They're living in a, in, where the religious people, the real polished, wear the right clothes, say the right things, go the right places, and, and, and convinced that God loves them best have slammed the doors of the synagogue on them, have said, you're not the kind of people God loves. You've done this. You look like that. You think this. You have this tattooed. You have this untraditional piercing. You struggle with this. You have this addiction. He's saying, he's saying in the midst of that, I'm the one who opens and shuts. Don't worry about a door to a building. I'm giving you the door to the kingdom and it's open and they can throw all their might against it. They can't shut it. If you have ever been hurt by the church that got it wrong, that got love wrong, that got grace wrong, that got God wrong, that got forgiveness wrong. If you've ever been hurt by a believer who got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, wrong. This is a good message. Jesus says, I don't get it wrong and I'm not shutting that door. It's before you and it's wide open. I'm ripping it off the hinges just so there's no confusion for you in the state that you are now right here, not some future improved version of yourself. Right now, right now, in this situation. Okay, verse nine, we gotta take a look. Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. This goes back to reputation and reality. We talked about that last week, right? These people are convinced they're God's, they're God's favorite. They're on the varsity team. He said, they're lying. They don't know. I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. The people who reject you will one day come and know that I have loved you because I'm going to love you so well, so lavishly, so completely that everybody around you is going to say, I don't know what you did, but God really loves you. I didn't do anything. It's what he did. I, I just let him love me. And by the way, you can have it too since it doesn't depend on how faithful I've been. That's what he's saying. Um, they're going to they're gonna fall down and give you props. That's what they're going to do. Okay. I would like for you 
to try and picture your life standing in front of the open door with unlimited access, unlimited, full access pass to heaven, to God's presence, to prayer, to God's activity in your life. If what we saw all the time, what we focused on was that open door and the presence of God and the inheritance that we have in him, everything would change, right? All this stuff that's happening around here. Guess why? Because God is calling us and we'll see this. We'll see this in some scripture here. He's calling us that while our feet are on the ground, while our bodies are on the earth, your mind and heaven can be in heaven. Your heart can be in heaven. Heaven in your heart. Heaven in your mind. Even while you're dealing with all of the junk down here. Does that mean we want to escape? Just deliver me, God. Snatch me up. Yeah, a lot of Christians do. And it just shows that they haven't been transformed by the heart of God. Because here's what it is. If heaven is in your heart, if heaven is in your mind, no matter what's swirling around you relationally, maritally, financially, academically, whatever, and you love people, then you want them to experience this alternate reality, if you will. You want them to be set free, to be filled with joy like you are. And so part of you wants to be taken away to experience this even more fully. But part of you hopes that he doesn't take you right now because there's so many people you love who don't have heaven in their heart, who don't have heaven in their mind, even though life in this broken world is heartbreaking. Are you getting me? And there are a lot of people in church who have missed it, who have missed it. And so we look at verse 10, we look at verse 10 and we see this, because you have kept my word about, say it with me, patient endurance. Like I wasn't just talking to two of you, like all of you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. Thank you, gold star. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. This is the big one. This is the big This is the big tribulation that he's talking about. To try those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you're an underliner or a highlighter in your Bible, this is one that you want to underline and highlight. It's going to help you understand. um, It's going to help you understand some of the imagery in the book of Revelation. Those who dwell on the earth seems to be talking about everybody. It's not. Those who dwell on the earth is a is a phrase to describe those who haven't let Jesus love them, transform them, uh, put heaven in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds right now. They haven't surrendered to him. Those who dwell on the earth, think about it this way, are those not only who have their feet on the ground, anchored, tethered to things that are natural, to things that are happening, they have their hearts fixed here too. Those who dwell on the earth not only have their feet, but their hearts in the rut of everything that is happening in a broken world. And he's calling us to transcend that our minds and our hearts would be hidden with Christ in God. Okay? So he says, in order to live this reality, feet on the ground, heaven, heart, mind, in heaven, right? Heavenly. 
you're going to need patient endurance. Patient endurance. Now, patience, patience is something when you're hoping for something good that is not here yet. That is not here yet. We need patience because the kingdom of God, this open door, is one of those already and not yet things. We get to experience it now in part. The time when we'll be experiencing it in full is when Christ comes back or he calls us up to heaven and we die and we go be with him. That will be the fulfillment of the kingdom of God where God rules and God reigns and everything is love and forgiveness and grace and joy and freedom and, and, and everything that you were created to be. So we get a taste of it now. We'll have a banquet of it then. What we, we have a hunger for it now. We get satiated, but the full meal is there. The full experience is there. He's saying, have patience. Have patience, it's coming. And so that you know it's coming, I'm giving you smack dab in front of you an open door so that can be your focus. That can be your assurance. That can be your confidence. I can be your hope. It's there. It's more real than the stuff you're dealing with right in here, right now. Problem is, we're not really good at patience. We're not really good at waiting. And so, it's really easy for us to, what the kingdom of darkness, what the kingdom of this world offers is, here, you don't have to wait. Have this right now. Have it right here, right now. Don't wait for Christmas morning to open up your gifts. Shake them now, unwrap them, play with them. Then you wrap it up, your parents won't know. Problem is, the things that the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world offers are counterfeits. They don't deliver on the promise. And there's things often, sometimes good things that, that, that Jesus has given us as blessings that we want in the wrong time, in the wrong amounts, in the wrong way. Nearly every sin, nearly every sin is a good intention gone bad. Take prostitution, take, take sex addiction, addiction. I want to be loved. I want to feel beautiful. I want to uh, experience, um, I want to experience orgasm. There I said it. Euphoria. Yeah, it's a good thing to want that. But to be addicted to that rather than the true source of elation, which is connection with God, is using something for that which it wasn't intended in an amount and in a way that it wasn't intended. Drug abuse, alcoholism, escape. Escape is a good thing to want to be delivered from the current reality. But it is a counterfeit. You can trace that back to almost anything. A good intention gone wrong. That's the warring kingdoms, okay? We need patience. And we get patience from looking in the open door. We need endurance. Why? The clash of the kingdoms. Endurance. Life. Following Jesus Christ is an endurance race. It is a marathon, not a sprint. So do this. Stop beating yourself up if you don't think you're running fast enough as long as you're walking. Take the next step with Jesus Christ. The people who come to Jesus Christ and are sprinters, and you're, wow, they're so excited. They're so growth. They go, they go, 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 go. A lot of them, a lot of them aren't here anymore. A lot of them run themselves out. Jesus told us about this, right? 
parable of the soils. They're on rocky ground. They have no roots. They sprout up fast and they get burned out. Don't beat yourself up if you're not sprinting as long as you're walking. Because the Bible, the New Testament, more than it ever uses run to equate life with Christ, talks about your walk. Take the next step every day, every moment with Jesus Christ. So it is an endurance race. The people who run the fastest do not necessarily run the longest. Let yourself off the hook if you're not the spiritual overachiever as long as you are walking with Jesus Christ. All right. The other reason we need endurance is because of the clash of kingdoms. We will either live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world, either of the citizens of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. We will either live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of life and spend our life fending off the allure and the lies of the kingdom of death. Do you get that? Or we will spend our lives in the kingdom of death fighting off the call of God on our hearts to come through the open door. You will live in one and fight off the other. Are you living in God's kingdom, trying to free yourself of the lies of the kingdom of darkness? Or are you living in the kingdom of darkness, spending your life trying to silence the voice of God calling you to the reality in Christ he created you for? If you forget everything about this message, and many of you will, uh, I get it. Remember this, the church historically has gotten this wrong. And if we get this wrong, things don't make sense. Pastor and author Dallas Willard, I believe, put it best when he said, the main message of Jesus Christ was not how to get to heaven when you die. The main message of Jesus Christ is how to get to heaven before you die. Right now. In your hearts and in your minds where the kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of darkness. That's the whole idea between, behind loving people, but behind being missional behind talking to people about the God who loves them, behind invite, because of the invading kingdom that we can live in right now. Is your heart, is your mind consumed with what's on, across the threshold of the open door? Is it your constant focus? Because the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom that we live in, we are all one tragedy away, one diagnosis away, one phone call away, one divorce away, one you fill in, one bankruptcy away from everything falling apart. Except if your everything is Jesus. If your enoughness, if your sufficiency is in Christ and for the heart that's been transformed, for the mind that's transformed, 
and hidden with Christ in God, as the Bible says. All this stuff can happen and probably will because we are living in a world that needs to be redeemed, okay? So part of our call is to go and and do that work, but you cannot be shaken. Your joy is bulletproof. Your peace is bulletproof. Your confidence. And Jesus is placing before you an open door. Okay, um, one other example. Yeah, yeah, it's late, but you've come to expect that. Um, If you watch the news, if you read the news, if you listen to the news, I'd encourage it because I think this news thing is really going to catch on. Yeah. Um, Then you're aware, if you have a pulse, uh, that uh, of this Occupy Wall Street thing, what it is, is a, a lot of people, and, and you, may, you may resonate with this, a lot of people, particularly younger people, and I can say that because I'm an old guy, um, have gotten fed up, not, 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 not with being American, just, it's not like an anti-patriot thing. They've gotten fed up with the government as it is currently working, with the greed, with the special interests, with the distribution of wealth, with the... Do you, do you understand that, right? They, they don't want this government to do what it's been doing. And so they're showing up in Denver. They're showing up in New York. They're showing up on the West Coast. Major cities all throughout the country. And their cry is, we don't want this government the way it is, the way it's been behaving, the preferential treatment, all that stuff. And... and and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to see that in terms of the kingdom. And it's tough because we don't have kings here. So think about it in terms of the government. They're saying, we don't want this government the way it is over us. And I think what Jesus is calling us all to is something very similar. To say, Lord, I have tried to live my life the best way I know how, or maybe I haven't. But either way, I am sick and tired of life under the government of me. Life with me calling the shots is not life at all. So I want to join a resistance movement that says, not occupy Wall Street, but occupy me. My government of myself is leading to destruction. Your governance over me is light and life and freedom and joy. I want to submit to your government because you love me more than I love me. And you know me better than I know me. And you created the world and the universe to work in a certain way. And I've claimed to know what that way is. But it's not working out so good for me. I've heard you claim that you've got a plan. I want in. I want that open door. That's what I want. That's what I need. Where you rule and you reign. I want to enter in. I want to experience the kingdom of God as much as a person in this skin can. He's saying, come. That is exactly what I have set before you. 
in order for Jesus to hold open the door of the kingdom of God, he had to hold another door closed. The door of sin, the door of death, the door of condemnation, the door of shame. And if you remember the tragedy of Virginia Tech where um, that student took an automatic weapon and just shot a lot, killed a lot of people. What you may not have heard was one, one professor in engineering school, uh, Livio Lubrescu was his name, um, gave his life to save his students that were in the class. He had gotten the messages. He could hear that the shooter was on his hall. And so what he did was put his body in front of the door um, and held it closed while his students escaped through the window. And when all of them had escaped, he slumped down full of bullets and died. And that is a physical representation of what Christ did to hold the door shut of your condemnation. Of all the lies. Look, I, don't, I can't read your mind, but if it's anything like mine, you are continually accused of your past. You are continually accused of the person that you fear that you are. You are continually accused of everything negative about you. Jesus died to slam that door shut and open another that says, no matter what you think you are, no matter what people have said you are, no matter what the lies say you are, you are mine and you are free, and you are clean, and you are mine, and I will love you so much that people will fall around you saying, you must be something special to have God love you that way. And I want you to experience that as much as is humanly possible now. It's going to be fulfilled later. But are you walking in that? Do you have that open door in front of you and prefer to look at all the junk instead? That's, that's the question. Here's another question. Maybe you're left with all of this good news about this open door into the kingdom and the presence of God. And you're saying in your heart, thanks, but that's not the door I wanted open. I get it. I get it. The door I really wanted open is out of this job or into a job. The door I really wanted open was the pressures uh, that I'm experiencing in my relationship, in my family, in my friendships, in my, my marriage, in my school. I want to know what I'm doing. I want to know what my future is. I want to know this. I want to. The open door leads to many open doors. But the fact that you and I can get to the point where God says, all that I am is yours. And we say, thanks. But what I really wanted was this, was things to work out the way I want things to work out right here and right now. Thanks for you, but that's not really what I wanted most. If your heart is doing that, I get it but that's a symptom of those who dwell on the earth. And that calls us to say our hearts need to be transformed because my greatest affection, my greatest treasure isn't you.
its life working out the way I want it to. There's an open door in front of you that no one will ever be able to shut. I plead with you as I plead with myself to live in the power and the reality and the blessedness of that. Heaven in your heart, heaven in your mind, even as your feet are on this earth. It ain't about what happens when you die. If it's not happening while you're living. Because if it's not happening when we're living, we're already dead. And Jesus loves us too much to let that happen on his watch. That's good news. We have access. But you got to, you got to take the step again and again and again. And so do I. Let's pray that we'll do that. Lord, thank you. You are so good and we are so distracted. Lord, um, we pray for you to transform our hearts. Lord, for those who see the truth of the open door into your presence, into your kingdom and, and feel... That's not what I want most. Lord, we come and we ask you to transform our hearts and let us find our true treasure, our true life in the source of life, in you. Lord, despite what we're going through, despite the threats on our livelihood, our comfort level, our circumstances, you say, I've got you. It's gonna be okay. Enter into my reality. Let heaven reign in your heart and mind. And Lord, we tend to only do that after we've exhausted every other possibility. And yet you call us to that now. Let us enter in. You've opened the door for that very purpose. Give us courage to take that step. Lord, we pray that we would have patience and not settle for right now counterfeit. Lord, we would have endurance that we wouldn't beat ourselves up for not sprinting as long as we're walking with you. Lord, that we would walk through the door. Lord, for anyone here who thinks their past has disqualified them, that the lies they believe have disqualified them from the open door, from life with you heaven in their hearts, heaven in their minds, that they would know that that's why you came. That's what your cross, your burial, your death, your resurrection is all about. That you want to give your life to the undeserving and that's me and that's all of us. Lord, um, for all those who haven't stepped through, who haven't allowed you to close the door of shame and sin, that we'd let you. Lord, that our hearts would laugh like that baby all the time because we see it and we live in the reality of your kingdom and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to...